The 2022 elections were expected to result in a red wave cascading across the country, and while that may not have come to pass, Staten Islanders certainly did their part, with nearly two-thirds of borough voters casting Republican ballots in the congressional and gubernatorial races. While the issues of crime didn't seem to do the trick for Republicans nationwide, I think here it did resonate with people. You know, if you look at the map, you're going to see a lot of red, you're going to see New York City, you're going to see, you know, Brooklyn, Manhattan, where all those heavy Democratic votes are, Albany, Syracuse, Buffalo in particular. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of thing that drives the election. So the fact that it was as close as it was, I think, speaks to the fact that there are concerns out there among New Yorkers about bail reform in particular, about the crime that we're seeing, particularly crime in the subway, crime in big urban areas, whether it's Rochester or, or other places. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by Staten Island Advance senior opinions writer Tom Robleski to discuss the results of Tuesday's elections and the implications they'll have on the future of our borough, our state, and our nation. Thanks for joining me today, Tom. You know, uh, last time I had you on, we were voicing some cautious optimism about our Mets postseason chances, oh you know, but as we've come to expect, yeah. it all uh, quickly came crashing down in, in pretty spectacular fashion. So before we get to the politics, any last thoughts on this year or, or looking ahead to next season? Well, I mean, you know, it's a 162-game season, and then we realize it comes down to a game or two here and there, right? If if we win a game against the Cubs, if the Grom pitches better against Oakland, if Scherzer wins the game in the playoffs. So it, it and so that kind of disappointment is tough. But I have hope. I, I like the core of the team. I like the management. I like the uh, I like the uh, owner. I like Buck Showalter. And just Eric, I'm, I know I'm speaking from your heart as well as mine. Just thank God that the Philadelphia Phillies, with Zach Wheeler, Bryce Harper, and Noah Syndergaard, did not win the World Series because that. It would have been brutal. I would have, and you know, they would have gotten their rings the first time we were in town. Yeah, I, mean, I was just going to say that they would have had us there scheduled for the first day of the season. So, so the baseball gods, and at the end, were kind, and even though the Astros won, and, and nobody will ever trust them again, but still, it, it could have been a lot worse. Agreed. So we'll we'll see what happens with some of the offseason moves. We've got a lot more to make. I know we got Diaz back, but there's still a, a lot out I, there. I think I think they're going to. I think you're going to see the Trey Turner, uh, Brandon Nimmo swap. I think that's what you're going to see. That'll be interesting. All right, so let's get into to some of the election results. Let's start with the uh, the highly anticipated rebatch between Rep. Nicole Maliotakis and former Congressman Max Rose. I think some people expected this race to be a little bit closer than it wound up being, in part because this seat has switched back and forth so much in recent years, right? So, But actually, Nicole won pretty handily with over 61% of the overall vote and 64% on Staten Island as of the last time I checked. So mm-hmm. Were you surprised by the margins here? And, and what are some things that, you know, you think Nicole may have learned from her first term that she can kind of bring into her second? After a while, I think it seemed that the Democrats, again, with the uh, the red wave that was coming or thought people thought was going to be coming, I think sort of left, believed that this race was, was going to go Maliotakis's way. I didn't have like the special guest stars coming in here for, uh, for Max Rose the big infusion of outside money coming in, the big ad, you know, money coming in. So I think after a while they kind of figured that that she was going to hold on to the seat. I still think, and she won the Brooklyn side of the district as well, yep. which I think Republicans are also very encouraged about. And I just think that this is, you know, she had the support of former President Donald Trump, although after what happened Tuesday, we don't know how much that's going to 
what kind of value that's going to have in the future. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised at a, you know, that, that, that it was such a, uh, that it was such, that it was such a big win. But again, seeing what else happened on Staten Island, seeing how Republicans came out to vote for Lee Zeldin, seeing how they came out to vote for uh, Sam Pirazzolo in the uh, in the mid on, and then we're going to get to some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised that that kind and and Democrat, uh, you know, turnout seems to have been depressed on the on the North Shore if you, if you look at some of the numbers. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm I'm not really I'm not terribly surprised that 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 she finished the way she did. Yeah, and so uh, how would you kind of grade, or what do you think, just of generally, of Nicole's first term in office, and and kind of what are you looking for from her as she as she moves into her second? Well, it could be important because she could be the only member of the majority. It seems that the Republicans are going to gain control of the House of Representatives. It's going to be a much narrower. Uh, majority than they thought that they would have. So she's going to be the only New York City representative uh, who's going to be in the majority, although we've got now that they have they, they got those seats on Long Island, those seats in the Hudson Valley. So there's you could say that New York State is delivering the House of Representatives to the Republicans. So so I think that could strengthen our hands. She's got some she's got more experience than some of the other folks who are going to be coming in um, as freshmen. I think overall she's become more polished. I mean, I covered her a lot when she was in the assembly. You know, I think she's become more focused on her issues, how she presents herself, how she engages. I thought her her uh, acceptance speech or her, her uh, victory speech the other night was very uh, modulated, very professional. She didn't go out of her way to take another piece out of Max Rose. She didn't gloat. I mean, she took her piece out of Nancy Pelosi. That's to be expected. I was speaking to people at the supermarket the other day just hearing their concerns, hearing, hearing what, quite frankly, the Democrats were not hearing. That they're struggling right now. That they're concerned about how much heat is gonna cost this winter. That they're having difficulty paying for food for their families. That's what this race was always about. About stopping the disastrous policies that we've seen under one party rule at the state level and at the federal level and getting this country back on track. So I think she's become a lot more of, 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 a, of a polished politician and elected official and she certainly is, uh, she pays attention to what's going on in the district and she pays attention to what's going on with her constituents. Yeah, and you know, just briefly before we move on, what do you think might be next for Max Rose? Obviously, this is a lot of theorizing here, but have, has there been any indication as to as to what he could be looking into well, next? I, I think it's kind of tough when you get the, the two losses in a row. Mm-hmm. I, I, and, and again, he was not a Staten Island, and that's not a knock against him, but he does not have that natural constituency here that he would have had, like Malliotakis, like so many of our other elected officials, they grew up here, they went to school here, they have all those networks here, they worked here perhaps, so had a business here like with Sam Pirazzolo. And so I, I, I'm not sure if that, and, and 2024, depending on who the top of the ticket is, it's gonna be a presidential election year, whether it's Trump or DeSantis at the top of the ticket, I would expect Staten Island to still be voting, uh, to still be voting Republican yeah. uh, in that. So anybody looking at that race and seeing what happened with Max Rose this year, even though there was not a tremendous, you know, you didn't have like the blood pouring out of the elevator doors and the shining kind of red <laughs> wave that people were sort of anticipating. They're going to look at that race and say, I think I'm going to save my money. And plus, now that she's been reelected, unseating 
a House member is, you know, you're talking 90, 95%, they get reelected. So it's going to be a very tough race, I think, next time. And I don't think Max Rose with two losses in a row is going to be any, going to be first and only on anybody's list. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And so, you know, there are some other Staten Island-specific races that we're going to touch on. But before, I think we should talk about the governor's race, where, you know, Kathy Hochul became the first woman ever elected mm. governor of New York. So, you, I mean, as everyone knows, she's been serving as governor for a while now after all of the scandals surrounding former Governor Andrew Cuomo. But now she's been officially elected to the post. So it certainly wasn't an easy win, though, with the Republican challenger, Lee Zeldin, as you mentioned, receiving roughly 47% of the vote mm -hmm. statewide and, you know, 66% here on Staten Island, which is, I don't think, too surprising, but still a pretty big number. So can you just give us some thoughts on how this all played out and, and why it was so much closer than some other recent New York races for governor? Well, I think you have to remember as well that while uh, Governor Hochul is the governor, she was never elected governor. Mm -hmm. I mean, she'd, she'd run, she'd been, a, I think she'd been a congresswoman uh, and, and other offices. So she'd never had, she didn't have a statewide constituency and she'd never really run state, you don't really vote for the lieutenant governor. They're just, they're just on the ticket. Yeah. So I think that played into it. Also, I think while the issues of crime didn't seem to do the trick for Republicans nationwide and inflation, but it was less so when you're... You know, Zeldin pretty much focused so much on crime, bail reform, criminal justice uh, reform. So, while, you know, while I think that message didn't resonate nationwide, I think here it did resonate mm -hmm. with people. And again, I think if you look at the map, uh, Governor Hochul won 13 counties in the state, where Zeldin won 49 or whatever the math is. There's yeah, 62, there's 62 total. So forgive my math, but that's it's it's roughly. If you look, you know, if you look at the map, you're going to see a lot of red. You're going to see. New York City, you're going to see, you know, Brooklyn, Manhattan, where all those heavy Democratic votes are, Albany, Syracuse, Buffalo in particular. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of thing that drives the election. So the fact that it was as close as it was, I think, speaks to the fact that there are concerns out there among New Yorkers about bail reform in particular, about the crime that we're seeing, particularly crime in the subway, crime in big urban areas, whether it's Rochester or, or other places. So I think that, that she should keep that in mind as she goes forward. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that the crime aspect of it probably did play a little stronger here than it does in other parts of the country, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, because of the, you know, we've seen so much of the, the subway situation. We've mm -hmm. seen it on the news every day of a different person either getting assaulted or pushed in front of the tracks or wh whatever it might be. But it did, it did just feel very constant over the past few months uh, here in New York City. So I think that that, that really played for and, him stronger than it may have. And, and there are plenty of us who remember the 80s and the 90s. When, when really when things really were bad and you had 2,000 murders uh, in, in 1990 or whatever the, the exact number was you know and it's like when you watch an old movie from the 70s right taxi driver or whatever it's like city was really like that and yeah. people remember that and these things happen incrementally it's like you know you know how do, how do you get to 2,000 murders a year well it's little by little and then all at once mm -hmm. and I think people were concerned about stopping it sooner before it gets worse yeah that's a great point We'll be right back. The Mayor of Maple Avenue is a powerful multi-part podcast about Sean Sinisey, a victim of former Penn State football coach Jerry Sandusky, who was arrested 10 years ago for numerous child sexual abuse charges. The podcast series is written and hosted by Pulitzer Prize winning reporter Sarah Gannam, who takes listeners into the world of addiction rehabilitation, where society can be quick to celebrate the consequences for abusers while not addressing the needs of their victims. Subscribe now to the Mayor of Maple Avenue wherever you get your podcasts. 
And so moving back to some of the Staten Island stuff, there were two openings in the state legislature this year, one with Assemblyman Michael Cusick leaving office and then the other with State Senator Diane Savino electing to do the same. So in that Mid-Island Assembly race, Republican Sam Pirazzolo beat out Democrat Vincent Argenziano with roughly 55% of the vote. Were you surprised to see this seat turn red? I think we expected that Sam Pirazzolo would, would win that race. The seat's been withdrawn, you know, has been redrawn, obviously, with, with redistricting. I, I think they tried to make it a little more democratic. Uh, you know, Mike Husick had a close race uh, last time he ran. Now, I don't know what his thinking was, whether he's got a better opportunity. We don't know what he's doing post mm-hmm. his legislative career. But he may have been concerned that the seat was not really as winnable. Now, don't forget, that seat was created in 1982, I believe, was the first time you had a Mid-Island, election, a Mid-Island Assembly election on Staten Island. Eric Vitaliano, who's now a federal judge, the Democrat, won that, held that seat until he went into the civil court, and then Cusick took it over. So since 1983... It's been Democrat held, yeah, and only two people. Only two people. Only two people it. in total. Now it's not the same boundaries, but that city council district in the Mid Island on Staten Island has been Republican since the day entire one. time. Yeah. You know, and now Cusick is an old line, you know, Democratic guy, Democratic family, grew up in politics, and and, and had that seat. I thought, and the thinking here, and and I discuss this a lot with our political reporter Paul Yoda as well. Once that. Like that kind of Cusick name was 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 pulled away from that seat. I think it was pretty much open season, and and you know Republicans in that you know there's a lot of Republicans and swing voters in that district. It's always been the swing district on Staten Island: North Shore mm-hmm. Democrat, South Shore Republican, and well, the Mid Island is where island wide seats get won. And I think that you you know they, that that seat probably is going to be a tough uh, regain uh, you know for Democrats going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking about uh, Pirazzolo for a little bit, for some of our listeners who may not be too familiar with him, he, he doesn't really have a, a ton of prior political experience, right? So so how do you feel, uh, how equipped do you think he is going into this job considering that? Well, I actually had this discussion with Tracy Poporo, who uh, is the, uh, the supervisor of our public advocacy uh, and, and politics and public affairs team. There's, there's, there's the Cusick model. Right in in politics, where you kind of grow up in 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 the business, you are somebody's aide. He worked for Senator Schumer. He he worked for other folks here on Staten Island. Um, you know, Steve Matteo was like that. Um, other folks, or you have somebody who comes out of a business uh, background or a professional background, like uh, like Sam Pirazzola. Now he was on the Community Education Council, so that gets him plenty of networking with parents, political types. Mm-hmm. He had the uh, you know the optometry business, which is in Queens. Uh, but you know he has so he has he has business contacts as well. So he's he's you know he's 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 a little older. His kids are older. So these are also the type of people who tend then. Well, now what do I want to do? I want to serve. I want to be in. I want to be in public mm-hmm. service. So I, I think you take a different kind of experience into into politics mm-hmm. when you've made a budget. You know, hired and fired people, been responsible. You know, for a business, or when you've learned the legislative ins and outs and the political ins and outs as a staffer or something else. So I think, you know, on balance, it could be just, you know, six of one, half a dozen of another. Yeah, that's a great point. While he may not have the uh, the political experience that you think of, there's so much other experience that he does have throughout, you know, his life and, and his career that he can bring to this post. So Michael Bloomberg, Donald yeah. Trump, I mean, you know, not to throw, you know, heated names around, but, you know, <laughs> these are people who come from non-political backgrounds, but they have they have an achievement that they said, you know, I did this, mm-hmm. I did this business, or I created this, or I did that. So I think that is also that also appeals to voters as well. 
Yeah. And so l- let's move on to the race to replace State Senator Diane Savino. So on election night, we had Democrat Jessica Scarcella Spanton declare victory over Republican Joe Tyrone. But Tyrone did not concede right away because Jessica was only holding uh, about 51 percent of the vote. And there were still absentee ballots. There were still five percent of scanners not reporting. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, like Q6, this district has been blue for a long time, right? right? So I'm curious, you know, why you think things were as close as they were, considering this, as you said, the Mid-Island tends to be kind of that swing spot, right. or, or you, you could understand why it might be. Considering she's North Shore and Brooklyn, uh, primarily this seat, right? Um, I think it might have been a little more surprising for people. Mm-hmm. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, Jessica is a, a first-time candidate. She wasn't really teed up for this race necessarily. I think when, when uh, Senator Savino announced her uh, her retirement from elective office for the moment. They, these guys, these folks could come back, obviously. Yeah. I think the the smart money and the immediate thought was that somebody like Charles Fall, uh, you know, the assemblyman would all would be kind of teed up for this right. for this seat. It's a it's a prestige seat. I understand that there was some you know back and forth uh, you know you know discussions or you know whatever how these things happen in politics there are certain things that they do certain things that they don't do so it turns out that he you know doesn't want to run for the seat and then we had the primary uh with Jessica and uh and and, and Bianca and who who was Charles's uh, significant other for you know for lack of a better term so mm-hmm. i think that getting that that slow start for, mm-hmm. for Jessica, it's not like it's not like Jessica's been sitting there for two years, three years, saying like, okay, I know Diane's right. leaving, so I'm going to have all my ducks in a row. So I think that has to do with it. The fact that she's never run for public office before was not uh, currently in uh, Senator Savino's uh, office at the time, and I and I do think again that there's uh, some thought on Staten Island that there needed to be. If not a clean sweep, there needs to be some kind of change that they were more open to a Republican message. You know, the Brooklyn side of the district is, is very uh, Democratic, but there are pockets that Tyrone is speaking about where he feels like, you know, he can do well and there's there's, there's places where there, there may still be votes coming out for him. Mm-hmm. So I could see if, listen, if I'm sitting in this 5149 in a district that's true as true blue as any other district you're going to see, I'm going to want to see every last vote yeah. uh, counted as well. But I think there are a lot of factors. And and, and Tyrone is, is, is well known as the family, the shoe business that a lot of everybody who had kids in Catholic school or went to Catholic school, you <laughs> bought your shoes there. He's a, he's a realtor. He's got the business connections. You know, he, uh, he had the conservative party support. And, and again, I think he benefited from the rising tide of the Zeldin vote wherever, wherever it was had. And uh, so I, again, I, I don't, I don't, I don't blame him for that, but when all the, all the votes are counted, I think she's probably going to hang on. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree there. But, you know, more generally speaking, I'm curious just kind of what you think Q6 and Savino's, uh, Savino's departures kind of mean for the borough's political landscape moving forward, because these are two people that have been in those positions for so long. Well, th- th- this has been like a cycle. Now I've been at the paper 25 years, whatever it is. So I've kind of seen when when, when the, the other uh, venerable August members of Vitaliano, uh, Betty Connolly, John Markey, that whole generation, uh, and now this generation is starting to to not age out necessarily, but they're starting to because they're, they're still both plenty young mm-hmm. uh, compared to some other folks. And, you know, uh, Jimmy Otto is no longer sort of on the scene mm-hmm. here. Either. Listen, you're losing a lot of experience. You're losing a lot of legislative know-how. 
you're losing, uh, you know, and, and, and with, with Andy Lanza, Mike Cusick was a very powerful, Senator Lanza was a very powerful partner to get things done. I stopped the judicial district, the, uh, the discounts on, on the bridge. You know, Senator Savino was, was one of the founding members of the Independent Democratic uh, Conference. They worked with Republicans to get a lot of things passed that should have made progressives very happy, but made progressives very upset because they were working in cahoots with the, yeah. you know, the, the Republicans. So and, and she's, you know, probably, you know, what you see is what you get in terms of, of a politician, uh, very strong minded, an, an outstanding fundraiser. And she was a union worker before that, a social uh, a social worker before that. So she had a lot of experience. They have a lot of Albany experience. They've, they've been in the trenches. And right now, Charles Fall is the senior Democratic elected official on yeah. Staten Island. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, Camilla, uh, uh, Camilla Hanks after that. And, and Jessica, and also the Albany delegation is now going to be at least four Republicans and two Democrats. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that um, Jessica is going to win. So that's also the first time in a long time. Usually it was split three to three. So, of course, they're all going to be in the, the minority, the, the Republicans. So. Right. And, you know, <clears throat> so all the other state legislators on Staten Island ran unopposed. You had State Senator Andrew Lanza, Assemblyman Charles Fall, Assemblyman Michael Tenusis, and Assemblyman Mike Riley. So not really a whole lot to discuss there. Um, but there were also a couple judge races here on Staten Island. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts on how those shook out. The GOP has been very good lately at winning borough-wide seats, whether it's state Supreme Court seats or civil court seats on Staten Island, you know, uh, as, as the borough has turned maybe more red or, you know, particularly in the Trump years. I think they were very, very excited that uh, Mary Kavanaugh won that island-wide city. Again, another civil court seat. And fairly handily as well. And, and, and kind of in line with going, the Republican voting. Going away, right. And, yeah, and absolutely. 65%. Absolutely going away. And, and Republican rank and filers, they like the judicial stuff. As we can see from the local level to the state level, federal level, Supreme Court, when, when we talk about you know, not to, you know, we talk about Roe v. Wade. That is a result of Republican focus on putting people in the judiciary wherever they can. Mm -hmm. So it's a very big thing for Republicans and for Republican voters. Now, the, the state Supreme Court races were sort of a wash because we had two new seats created and we had uh, uh, Judge uh, Judith McMahon running for a second uh, term. The Democrats and the Republicans kind of fell back on an old model, and they decided to cross endorse everybody. Yeah. So there was a guarantee that, like that, like Judge McMahon wouldn't get a race. Uh, Brendan Lantry got a Supreme Court seat, uh, the former Republican Party chairman, and Ann Thompson, who was the um, who was the first uh, woman of color elected uh, to state Supreme Court on Staten Island, also uh, you know got a cross endorsement. So those races were you know they, those races were gimmies, but still. Uh, Republicans have their hand on all those races as well. Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned in the open, although Staten Island voted overwhelmingly red, I think Republicans throughout many other parts of the country were left uh, kind of disappointed mm -hmm. by the outcomes of, of many of the races. So why do you think that the red wave, you know, didn't really come crashing down as hard as some may have expected? And and, and what does that mean for the country over the next few years? Well, I think a, lo a lot of people are, are pinning it on, on Donald Trump. I, I think, and I think that's going to be whether it's true or not. I think that's what Republicans are going to make into their sort of mantra going forward. Now mm -hmm. he lost, you know, the two big races in uh, Pennsylvania, the Senate race and the gubernatorial race. Those were two of the prime uh, Trump uh, endorsements. Mm -hmm. Also, Herschel Walker in Georgia. That's uh, that's going to a uh, to a runoff. So you know, I think, and and Democrats put 
right? They put two things basically at the center of their campaign appeals nationwide commercials. You could go to any state and you would have seen the same style of commercial. It was it was the abortion decision by the Supreme Court, Trump and Trump slash January 6th. Yep. And I think that even that, even Republicans and, and many of whom have become disenchanted with Trump over the last couple of years, they they I think their thinking was if we vote for Trump candidates and Trump can wake up on Wednesday morning and say, I delivered. I delivered the House and the Senate mm -hmm. to uh, to the Republicans. That was going to widen the door opening for Trump running again for president, which I don't think, I mean, maybe a majority of Republicans might, but I don't think an overwhelming majority of people, I think they want to go with somebody like DeSantis. <clears throat> so I think in a way that was probably, it was, and Trump put himself on the ballot just like Biden was on the ballot. Yeah. And Trump's constantly, you know, every endorsement event with a candidate turned into a Trump rally for, you know, for president. And he's hinting every other day, I'm going to make it a big announcement. It's coming, it's right. coming. I think you, you can't ignore the fact that I think voters on both sides of the aisle, a lot are finally just saying, you know, I think it's time for us to move on. And maybe it's time to move on from Biden for Democrats too and from Nancy Pelosi. They're all the same generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, DeSantis is what, 44? I mean, I, so I, I think that's what's, uh, I think that is, 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 is at least part of what, was, of what was going on nationwide. Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, as we've discussed on some of our previous podcasts, election nights are a big deal for us here at The Advance. We have reporters and photographers stationed across Chinese the Chinese food, right? pizza. Um, yeah, I know. Amazing. That's, that's the only reason I was here. So anyway, <laughs> I know you were with the uh, the Burroughs Republican camp on Tuesday, so I was hoping you could kind of give us a feel for the event. What was the energy like in there? Were people happy with how the races were going, despite, you know, some of the bigger ones not necessarily leaning well, well, you know, It was always, still kind of early, though. Well, right? well you know, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of tough because I was the political writer for for so many years and I got to basically choose where I wanted to go on election night. Yeah. I was so I, I always had to sit like, who do I think is gonna win? Or who do I think if they lose it's gonna be a more poignant or a more interesting thing? So I, I mean I I figured that you know Colmali Takas was gonna be the winner. I go I went there. It was at Libetti Post, which is interesting. It's it, it, it's it's an interesting place. The Republicans have had many, many of their county conventions and their nominating conventions mm -hmm. there. I don't remember them ever doing a uh, an election night there. And people said you can't make this place look good. It's a VFW hall. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a very it's a standard, it's it, it's it's lovely. Please, VFW guys, don't get upset. Right. But but it's just so, a hall. But they but yeah, it's, it's yeah. a hall. Right? With a, with a little, but they made they put lights up and everything. I think they were so they were very excited. Uh, I think, and I talked to a couple of folks, uh, elected officials and other party people, I think they felt that Zeldin was going to fall just a little bit short. But they were very excited to see uh, the Malitakis win, obviously. And that was pretty much, by 10 after 9, people pretty much Knew saw how that was going. Mm -hmm. They were very excited to take that mid-island seat away from the... Listen, it's, it's like anything else. It's like... When it's it's like it's like beating the champ, right? When you're when you're a boxer or or, or in the World Series, it's like you know I you know I flipped the seat. I, mm -hmm. I took it. It wasn't yeah. at all. I, I took it away from somebody. They, they've had it for forty years or whatever. So and and they again. I think they're very much they very they're very much uh, excited about the uh, the civil court win. The, the the mood was. I think they. At the moment, they saw the big DeSantis win. The national picture wasn't really shaken out yet. The Fetterman Oz race was still kind of up and you know yeah. up in the air. So I think there was still a lot of. Uh, but but I think if you listened carefully, you could hear some of the air going out of the balloon where they're like, you know, we're not waking up on top of the world tomorrow. We're going to be we're going to be in a fight even if even if we even if we win the Senate and even if we and and winning the House, we're still going to be in a fight. Yeah. And, you know, before we go, I was wondering if there was just anything else that we haven't touched on yet that you found interesting or that Staten Islanders might want to keep an eye on moving forward. Well, I think next year we're going to have a, a district attorney race with uh, with Mike McMahon. I assume he hasn't made an informal announcement. I assume that he's going to run for re-election. There's always a question. Now, 
he's been more on Staten Island side when it comes to bail reform and the criminal justice issues. He's not been like the other DAs. He, he's been more uh, moderate. Uh, they'd probably call him a conservative Democrat, the other you know, uh, DAs or de- Democrats around the city. So it'll be interesting to see whether he gets a, whether he gets a, a challenge, whether he gets a, a left challenge, mm-hmm. you know, somebody take it, and whether the Republicans, people always talk about Senator Andrew Lanzi, he's a former prosecutor, uh, wanting that seat, wanting to run. He didn't run when it was an open seat, so I don't know why you want to run when you've got a, you know, a, a strong incumbent. So I think that, and that's pretty much alone on the ballot next year. There may be other races next year, but that's usually like, it's almost like the breather year for everybody yeah, yeah. because then the next year starts, the next year is the presidential and you start the city cycles and the state cycles again. But I think that's going to be a very, very interesting race on Staten Island next year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me as always, Tom, and I look forward to having you back on soon. Yeah, and sorry about your Brooklyn Nets. We'll talk about them another time, oh, but uh, it, it's impossible to root for them. I'm sorry. It certainly is. Thanks for the invite. I always appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit silive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.